Welcome to the Life in 20 podcast, where you will learn something from everyone you meet in 20 action-packed minutes. Now, let's get lit with your hosts, Paul, Carson, and McCoy LeBlanc. Bill Lavalsi, welcome to Life in 20 podcast. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Paul and McCoy. Nice to meet you both. So, Bill, we usually jump right in, and um, we're super excited and, and grateful for you to join us today. We always start with kind of the journey that got people to where they're at today. And I think in your case, even more important as we kind of go through your experience, your journey, how your life was shaping up, up to quote unquote, the moment and walk us through, take, take as much time as you need. We'll ask clarifying questions along the way, but really want the floor to be yours. And just, you know, just so you know, our target audience is, you know, 14 to 26, although we do have a lot of parents listening. So I think this can really be one of those, one of those episodes that benefits everybody. So oh, take it away. Thank you. I, I appreciate you having me. I'll, I'll just start real quick. I was born, I am 64. I was born in 1959, which was the, the tail end of the baby boom generation. I think baby boom ended in 1964. I grew up in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. And as far as I tell and still tell to this day, it was real normal childhood. You know, my dad was in the service. He, he was in the Korean War and he came back, went to, went to University of Pennsylvania at night on the GI Bill and he was married. He worked, he began a, a career in pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, growing up, he was my guy, you know, he was the guy that I looked up to. And he was always that way up until he died in, in, in 2009. I, you know, went to grade school, high school, went to Catholic high school, went to St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, graduated with an accounting and finance degree. And not unlike, you know, a lot of people my age, you know, we, we started off with our career and I started in accounting. I started working at a bank and kind of started working my way up found a job in a pharmaceutical business in New Jersey, where I was a, an, a, an accounting supervisor. I had aspirations of getting to work in New York because, you know, even, even in Philly, you know, New York is the big city. I ended up getting a job in New York, landed in an advertising agency. I didn't know anything about advertising. I just knew accounting, <laughs> but I got to advertising and I loved it. It was, it was, it was just something so completely different. This was in the eighties and the vibe was just cool. You met all sorts of incredible people. And that's where I spent the rest of my career working my way up. And my last position that I left in 2005, I was chief financial officer at a privately held advertising agency about, had about 110 employees, maybe 150 million in revenue. And before I left, I helped engineered it helped engineer the sale to a large ad agency holding company. I left because of some family things that were going on. And we, we ended up moving. I had, had gotten remarried and we ended up moving here where I'm at now in Oklahoma. And I thought I was going to, you know, I thought I was pretty financially secure and I was going to enjoy time with my two youngest kids. I had two young kids from my second marriage, three from my first marriage. And, you know, 
things didn't quite turn out that way. And the, 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 the person that I married was a, was a business owner and was a, a money manager. And what, what came to pass was that it wasn't so much a money management operation. Well, it was an, a money management operation, but it was more aspirational than reality. And, and what it turned out to be was a Ponzi scheme. And that Ponzi scheme essentially is where people invest money with you so you can invest it for them and generate a return. But instead, they use the money that comes in and they give it to older investors. So it's Paul gives you money, you give that money to Peter. Okay. And there really is no investment piece in the middle. So that's in the most simplest terms, there's a lot more nuance to it than that, but in the simplest terms, that's what it is. And one of the things that happened was that when things got very difficult with my spouse's business, I decided on my own to see if I could help fix it. Part of the reason I did that was because of family pressures and my own pressures because we had money invested in this fund and I was kind of caught in the middle. You had your own personal money in the fund. I had my own personal money in it. Family members had money in it and it was just an untenable situation. So being, you know, having a career in business and being a fixer in terms of making problems, you know, fixing problems. I made the decision that, well, since this can't get fixed, I guess I'm going to have to fix it. And what I did was I accepted money on behalf of the fund who I didn't work for. I was not an employee and I used that money to pay off old investors to make lawsuits go away. And that in and of itself right there is a definition of a Ponzi scheme. And that action, which happened, I did that in around, probably around 2006, 2007, a little foggy, but in that general area, that was fraudulent. And it took several years and several years later in 2010, I come home and I find the Federal Bureau of Investigation at the house. They were arresting my spouse because it was her business. And... Then several years later, when that case was not resolved, the the case was widened and I was added to the case. And, you know, it gets back to that simple act that what I did, you know, I'm very clear. It was a mistake. It was a conscious decision on my part to try to fix a problem. And unfortunately, you know, it was not a situation that was fixable. So it was really... Should have went, no, I'm not touching this and let, let the, let the, the plates come crashing down. Because in reality, it's, yes, it's money, but it was just the wrong thing to do. And that really, you know, by the time I was added to the indictment in, in the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, it really changed the course of my life. So. 
I appreciate that that walkthrough. That was very clear. Couple couple clarifying things. That that money that was given to you. Again, you said you weren't an employee, but on behalf of the fraud business, not fra- mm-hmm. on behalf of the Ponzi, was how much? Five million dollars. Five million dollars. Do you a th- lot of money? Do you think that there's any dollar amount that would have not led you to that decision? You know, that, that's an interesting question. I was so emotionally invested in making this go away that I, I, I can't really, all I can tell you is how I felt at the time. And I was just so emotionally invested in the outcome in making this go away that, you know, it, 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 it I, I can't really honestly answer that. I don't know. Is like, there a number that would have made it all go away and you guys, Literally, you could have looked at your spouse and said, we're done. Everybody's, everybody's paid off. Or you would have still had that one investor, right, that you were on the hook for, right, even uh-huh. if that sum was big. But you could have uh-huh. at least had been managing one versus several. And how many different right. investors do you think there were? Well, that- no, and actually, and, and, and that, actually, I'm glad you clarified because that really did take care of it all. Okay. Okay. Interesting. The, the the thing is, is that that actual event, then just the, everything cascaded right from there. Yeah. I mean, you know, no, your, your background, you, you understand this. I mean, it's that one pivotal event, that one decision you, the decision you make and, you know, life goes off this way, you know, it, 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 you know, the, the repercussions are irreversible and that gets that gets lost yeah. sometimes you think i do this i can fix this and everything is going to be great well you don't really consider that every action has you know every action has a reaction it's almost to the to that point mccorner are, are you tracking this so far yeah it was almost to the point where bill's already cut pot committed mm-hmm. right the actions were were already done the the quote-unquote crime has already been committed there's no reversing this. Yeah. And that's why, Bill, it took so long probably for the indictment to come. The FBI was doing their investigation, mm-hmm. and that takes time to follow the money, to trace the money, to build Absolutely. the case, right? And then ultimately, you're indicted, you're convicted, and then how much time did you serve, and where did you serve? Well, I, I her, her my, my former spouse was in 2010. I was indicted at the end of 2013, the beginning of 2014. I found out about it in the beginning of 2014. I, at that point, pretty quickly knew I was going to take a plea deal because, you know, we have two young kids. I reached out to a, a, a person who has become a dear friend who has a ministry, and I'll, I'll talk about that at the end. And I got an understanding of what was going on. And my biggest concern were my two youngest kids. Right. And, you know, when you learn it, when you're in a situation like this, the federal government generally does not bring cases that they don't think they can win. That's right. Okay. And that's why the conviction rate is above 95%. I mean, they take cases that they can win. And in my case, I mean, it was obviously very clear, you know, and 
although it took me years to figure that out. Ultimately, I, I pled in late 2014, was sentenced in April of 2015. I was sentenced to 24 months incarceration plus nine months of home confinement. And my spouse, my former spouse, was sentenced to 45 months incarceration and nine months of home confinement. One of the blessings that came out of this, hard to think that there are any, but there are, was my attorney, with the help of our child psychologist, we were able to implore the judge to stagger sentences. What that means is kind of what it sounds like. One parent serves while the other parent is home. One parent serves their time. Got it. While the other is home with raising the children and then the roles reverse. And that was, I'm, I'm grateful for that every day. I imagine. How old were the kids yeah. at the time? And in eight, because it's, let's see, yeah. 2015 to, so yeah, maybe a little younger, about 10 and eight thereabouts. Yeah. I mean, my math is a little off, but you get the, you get the It's idea. an important, it's an um, important age group, age level. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're 20 and 18 now, my two youngest, my three oldest are all in their uh, early thirties. And so I went into, I went, I reported to prison in on March 26th of 2019. And as we all remember about that time period, about nine months later, COVID came on the scene. Mm -hmm. And with the passage of the CARES Act, they were reducing prison populations, at-risk prison populations, mm -hmm. those that are older, et cetera. So I, I served at FCI El Reno until April of 2020, spent April 2020 to December of 2020 on a, 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 the balance of my sentence on home confinement. And then I served the rest of my sentence as imposed by the judge. Got um, it. Yeah. But during that time, um, from the time I, um, first found out I was uh, being prosecuted, um, I, I met an individual who has a ministry and I have to say that really helped, um, me and the family get through a very difficult time. And that's something where I spend a lot of time volunteering for now. And because it's a very, it's a, it's a life altering change. And most people are very isolated. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to handle it. They tend to keep quiet. They don't talk to their kids about it. They don't talk to their friends when they lose a lot of friends. And this ministry as progressive prison ministries is a real godsend because it helps people, you know, on this path of trying to working to find, to get their life back on track and to find a measure of, I, I hate the, well, redemption is part of it. I don't know that you can ever be fully redeemed, but you can get your life back on track and start working for something bigger than yourself. Love it. Love what you're doing, Bill. And I appreciate your vulnerability and how honest you are about this. So that's what, that, what drew me to, to want you to have, have you on thought you think you have a great story to tell and share. Um, I know we have just a few minutes left. I can't believe it, it's going along. If we run a little over, I think I'm okay with this. 
McCoy, you've heard Bill kind of walk through it. What comes to mind? What kind of follow-up questions do you have? You know, and and in, in your mind, was there anything that he walked you through that, you know, either you you have a further question about or you want to know a little bit more about his mental state at that time? I I understood a lot of it. I can ask him. Yeah. So I have a question. What in the future, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, there's, there's, I've been, I've been, you know, I, I'm getting older. I'm thinking about that a little bit. I, part of it is that the, one of the things that was always in my mind when I was, when I was in prison was that I really wanted all of my kids to be proud of me. Okay. I did not want to be remembered for the bad decisions that I made. And, you know, you can't, McCoy, you can't undo the past, you know? And the only thing I came down to was I just have to be as present as I can be for my kids. You know, my, one of my, one of my sons, he has, he has two kids. So I have two grandchildren. Okay. Even though we live a couple hours away, you know, I can only be a good parent now. I can't be the parent he needed, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay. I can only be the parent he needs me to be now. And the same with my two youngest. I can only be the parent they need me to be now. So what I focus on is just trying to be that person. You know, it, it's, you wish you could fix things, but you can't. And, and that was what led me to the problem to begin with. I thought I could fix something that was not fixable. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and you're so afraid that that you, you try anything and that's just not, that's not a good way to live. The only one other thing I would say to, to, you know, young kids, young men and women is that you need to have people around you that yeah, support you, but you have to trust them enough and they have to trust you enough that they can call you out. That an only way that friends can on your, when you're making bad decisions, like mm -hmm. a friend is not somebody who, yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's part of, you know, that could be a friend, but a friend's also going to say, Hey, wait a minute. You think that's really smart. Don't you think, are you thinking this through, you know, like to me, it was my dad for most of my adult life, but when things got really bad. I was afraid to talk to my dad. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was afraid to say to him, you know, help me out with this. Okay. So I was ashamed and, and, and I was scared and I would encourage young people to try to fight that impulse and to keep people around you that whose opinions you respect, but that will also call you out and tell you when you're making bad decisions. Bill, I, I think that's so important, right? We, we tend to gravitate towards the, the people that make us feel good and feel the best because mm -hmm. that's the easiest thing to do. What we need, and, and we've heard the phrase, you know, you, you are the average of the five people you associate with closer or you surround yourself with. And that's true, but you always want one or two in there. They're going to throw you that curveball that allows you to pump the brakes a little bit right? Keeps mm -hmm. you in check. And you bring up such a valid point 
that I think our audience can resonate with. So I'm glad you went there. A couple more minutes. I, I wanted to, so you kind of started to hit on it. Considering everything you've been through, mm-hmm. what are, what's, what's a characteristic from maybe that you learned from your dad that you want to pass down or you've tried to pass down to your kids and now want to pass down to your grandkids, considering everything that you've been through? What is that, 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 that value or characteristic that you, you think that is most important to? I think for young men, one of the hardest things is to like open, openly communicate. Young men, and I see it with my sons, my, my youngest son sometimes, but he's getting better at it. They're afraid to say what their feelings really are. You know, it's, it, you know, being a man is not about always, you know, being this impenetrable rock. You know, you, you have feelings, you have emotions. You don't, I'm not suggesting you got to go around every, every day and crying and hugging people. Well, when I, what I am saying is that you, you can be open, you can be communicative. And that's, to me, that's a sign of what a man really is. Not someone who's, you know, on horseback, you know, the, the Marble man, you know, you know, <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, I'm dating myself. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It, it's, and so to me, for young men, it's, it's, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have really honest communications. You know, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness at all. So true. Bill, I could talk to you all night. Want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much. I think those are great last minute takeaways and along the way and and you know in our our little rapid fire there we want to give you a handoff opportunity to, to plug something where can people go to find out more about you or what you're up to okay well as, as i mentioned earlier i am deputy director at progressive prison ministries we work with men and women who are in you know are just as impacted as they would say so they're mm-hmm. They have been prosecuted. They are being prosecuted for nonviolent or white collar financial crimes. The, the website is prisonist, as in feminist, P-R-I-S-O-N-I-S-T dot org. You can reach out to me there at info at prisonist dot org. And, you know, we, you know, we, we, re- we receive inquiries all the time. There's a lot of people. You know, men and women you might already know are finding themselves in these situations. And, you know, we do what we can to help them, help their families, because families are greatly impacted by this. And, you know, it's really, they don't have to suffer in silence. And, you know, we can help them navigate it. We can help their family. And then they can work on rebuilding their life afterwards. And, and that's what we do. That's fantastic. Bill, I, you should feel very proud of, of what you're doing now, how you're turning things around, the time you. you're getting with your grandkids, all that. You know, I know uh, you, I don't see him as much as I, I don't see him as much as I want to, but soon you, soon I'll be able to. Don't take it for granted, <laughs> right? You know, um, yeah. and congrats on on what you're doing now. And you are gonna have a positive impact on somebody that, that will listen to this. So we appreciate you and wish you all the best. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you both. Paul, thank you. McCoy, great question. Uh, It was nice meeting you both. Okay, we'll see you.
That was awesome. Appreciate you hanging in to the end. If you guys found this helpful or enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. New episodes release one to two times each week, and we love to have you as a regular listener. If you learned something new, found value in the show, or key takeaways that could benefit others, please share with your network. And if you could please leave a review, that would be greatly appreciated as it helps others find the Life in 20 podcast. Okay, with that, we'll catch you on the next episode.